Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. This will be our last uh, message on staying the course, number four. Uh, just a quick review, maybe for some of you that weren't here for any of it, you can go back and go online, pick up all the notes and find out more about it. But we first of all talked about every single one of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our lives. That, that means an oral discourse of how we lived our lives upon the earth. And that's not talking about your salvation, that's talking about your rewards. Secondly, we said it's not the duration of a person's life, it's the donation of a person's life, the investments that he or she makes in the kingdom of God, in their marriage, with their children, and then it goes from there all the way down. And then we talked about this life of, this Christian life is a fight, fight the good fight of faith, it's a fight, it involves a course that we are to finish, and then it also involves faithfulness. Those three powerful words that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy, he said, I fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, faithfulness. So those three things. Then we talked about that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's our example. So then we talked about in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, some things that the apostle Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, shares with us about finishing our course strong. He talked about number one, that we're... To look at the cloud of witnesses that are around us in the grandstands of heaven. Their lives serve as a testimony. Testifying to us, it's a good thing to get off your course and get on his course. To do it his way and not our way. To live a life that will honor him in obedience. That's the right course for us to take. So we're supposed to look at those witnesses. Moses being one of the big ones who refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Who chose to suffer persecution with the, uh, and affliction with the uh, people of God. And then he esteemed the riches of Christ far better than anything else this world would have to offer. He had respect for the recompense of the reward. So we look at him 2,000 years after Pharaoh laughed at him. Appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Having the last laugh, so to speak. So he's an example that we can follow. And then also he said, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. The weight being anything that's not sinful... But it could be impeding. Get rid of that. Why? It's a lot too much heaviness. It'll impede our progress. The sin, of course, is the sin of unbelief. That's the main thing that kept them out of the promised land was unbelief. Not believing what God said that he would do for them. And then we said, we need patience. Run this race with patience. That's endurance. It's talking about being constant. Even though everything around us, the circumstances are changing, we're going to be attacked, we're going to have an enemy coming against us, the devil, the world, and the flesh coming against us. We need patience. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. So we need to persevere. And then we talked about the race, the race that we're all on. And it's your race, it's my race, it's an individual race. And while we're on this race, remember this, even though God is a sovereign God, he does not control what people do on the earth. He controls all the universe. He controls his great plan. He's sovereign in all his ways as far as that goes. But when it comes to free moral agency and making choices and decisions of our own lives, we need to make right choices. So on that 
course as we're running our race it's up to us not to be persuaded by the devil the world or the flesh to get off course and follow the wrong direction and then looking unto Jesus looking is talking about we have an example to follow we have a role model to look to look at him guarantee you that other people can let us down we're all imperfect but he will never let us down he shows us the right way to follow we need to look to him so as we continue and pick it up let's go back to our text Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 this is where this all comes from let's read the text and then we'll go to point 6 wherefore seeing we also are, in, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds as we continue we're going to point out that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith he's the alpha the omega he's the beginning he's the end our faith originates in him and with him and our faith ends with him and we want to end strong don't we and so it's important that we realize that we're to consider him and that's exactly what he said and what he means by that is we're to think carefully about something before we make a decision as to what we're going to do if you recall, we've been saying all along that this letter to the Hebrews is written because there were many Hebrew Christians that were being tempted to give up their Christianity to go back into Judaism. And sometimes we'll call it like backsliding. We'll say people have gone back into the world after serving Christ. So it's important that we recognize and understand that this is a warning. Really, it's a warning book. Number one. It really glorifies Jesus and talks about Jesus being better than all the Old Testament saints, the law, the temple, the angels, and so on and so forth. But then it also warns them. The reason why he brought that out was because Jesus is all better than that. Why do you want to go back to that? So I want to point out something that's not in your notes, if you don't mind. Do I have your permission? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to put them up there. Verses 4 through 6, and then Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. But let's start with this one here. And before I read it, if there's a warning label on something, for example, let's just say a pack of cigarettes has a warning. Smoking can cause cancer. Have you ever read that warning? You ever see it advertised on TV? Does it mean that it's possible then? Are you still out there? Is it possible then for someone to get cancer if they smoke? Is that why it's there? Oftentimes what I hear people say once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you can never be lost. Then why a warning? Why is there a warning? Let's read it. The warning's here for a reason. For it is impossible for those, look at the criteria. We're going to point out five things here. Who were once enlightened, that's called conviction tasted of the heavenly gift some people say well they just tasted they really weren't saved wait a minute Jesus tasted death for every man taste and see that the Lord is good 
So to say taste doesn't mean you've taken it in is wrong. If they've tasted the heavenly gift, who's the heavenly gift? Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's number two. And we're made partakers. It doesn't get stronger than that, does it? Of the Holy Ghost. That's three. And tasted the good word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away. To renew them again to repentance. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Did you notice it says it's impossible to renew people that have gone through those five things he pointed out, which shows that they were Christians. Now, did he say any of them did it? I don't know. He didn't say they did. But there's a warning. In other words, to prevent something from happening, give the warning. And the warning should do what? Scare the bejeebers out of them. So that they heed the warning and don't do it. True? Isn't that why the warning's on that label? Did you ever see a bottle of strychnine? Warning. This is not something that you should participate in. Why? It can kill you. Well, look at the next set, set of scriptures. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 29. For if we sin willfully after that, we've received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified? Some say, well, he wasn't really saved. <laughs> What's the criteria for salvation then? My goodness. He was sanctified by the blood of the covenant. An unholy thing. And he's done this despite unto the spirit of what? We're saved by faith. grace through faith, right? So he's talking strong. He's giving strong warnings. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10. And look at this. 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. For after you've you need patience for that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto what? Read the word, look it up in the Greek, find out what it is. That's eternal separation from God in the place of eternal suffering. But of them that believe to the what? Saving of the soul. So my question is this. Is it possible for someone to turn their back on Jesus? After they've been saved. Is that possible? Absolutely. And I'm going to add one more verse that is not out there. But 1 John 5 verse 16, read it for yourself. Here, John the Apostle is writing to the people, writing to, to Gaius, and he's writing this letter. And he says, look, there's a sin unto death. There are sins that are not unto death, and you can pray for. But there's a sin unto death. I ask that you not pray for it. What's that sin unto death? Exactly what he said, apostatizing. The person 
has no fear of God, no reverence for God, will then continue on a path away from Christ where they could actually renounce him. And they were in danger of doing so. Why? Because of the persecution and the affliction that they were encountering. Many were taken aside and thrown into prison and just saying, recant, renounce your belief in Christ. He's not the Messiah. Come on, go back, forget about it. We'll take care of you. If not, you die. And many were tempted to go back. That's why the whole letter was written. That's why it was written to prove to them that Jesus is greater than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. Remember, they wanted Abraham's our example. No, no. He had his place. He had his part. But Jesus is the one we look to because in these days, he spoke to us by his son. You don't get better than that. So he said, look, take heed to the warning because you can't. That's the whole point. Whether someone did or not, we don't have that revelation. There were some that did make ship, shipwreck of their faith. Remember? Hymenaeus and Philetus. Remember they made shipwreck of their faith? So whatever that means. But anyhow. Alright. Before we consider Jesus. Let's look at Abraham. In the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 22. The just are to live by faith. And not under the law. We can never keep the law. We can never satisfy the claims of justice by the life that we live. So thank God. Mercy means he gives us not what we deserve, but what Jesus deserves. Aren't you glad for that? What an exchange. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 22, let's first of all consider Abraham before we consider Jesus. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was born by promise. Notice these two lives. He's talking about Ishmael. And he's talking about Isaac. When, Isaac. when Abraham was 75 years old, God appeared to him and said to him, I'm your exceeding great reward. And he says, I don't have any family. I don't have any children to, as an heir. And he says, I'm, you're going to have a son and so on. He was 75 years old when that was spoken to him. But while you're on this course and on this journey, going from where he was to, from the earth of Chaldees to the promised land where God was leading him to, what happened along the way? Along the way, he didn't see anything happening for 11 years. And when he was 86 years old, his wife Sarah said to him, You know what? I mean, we've been trying to get pregnant for 11 years. It's just not happening, Abraham. It's not working. Why don't you have a son or a child with Hagar? And that'll be the one. That'll be the one that God promised. Of course... He quickly said, absolutely. Took matters into his own hands and says, I'll be the, I'll sacrifice. So he has a child with Hagar. And what's his name? Ishmael. And now they're all happy, but God's not happy. Ishmael is called a work of the what? Flesh, not a work of the spirit. So as you can see, even if you're Abraham, the patriarch of old, you're still dealing with the devil, the world, and the flesh, just like anybody else. And when they saw things weren't happening right away, they didn't operate in patience and endurance. What did they do? Acted out in the flesh. It wasn't until he was 100 years old that Isaac, the, the son of promise, was born, right? And they finally got a hold of it and realized that God didn't mean Ishmael. God meant Isaac. God didn't mean the work of the flesh. He meant the work of the spirit. 
But you see, it took 25 years to bring this to pass. One can get weary and faint in their mind in this period of time. And we can get weary and faint in our minds as we live our lives upon the earth and start making decisions that are based on the flesh and not of the spirit. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. And the flesh wants to do. And the world wants us to do. So along this race and this course that you know, we're running... It's important that we recognize, like Abraham and many others, everyone in the Bible, we've got to be aware of the fact that we're going to be tempted to be drawn away and get off course. Well, how many of you know that Ishmael is responsible for the birth of many Arab nations causing havoc in Israel today? He's considered to be the forefather of Muhammad, founder of Islam, and need I say anything more? So what did this work of the flesh do? It produced a lot of heartache and pain and headaches for the nation of Israel, did it not? Right. So we see when we give ourselves over to the work of the flesh, it can create all kinds of problems that we have to face in life. Now, that is Abraham. And if he could get off course, nobody's exempt. We all can. There's only one person who never got off course. What's his name? So let's consider him. And how do we consider him? Okay. The joy that was sent before him. Jesus understood the power of joy. We oftentimes will say the joy of the Lord is what? My strength. It's the fortified place. Place of stronghold for God in our lives. That we're supposed to be joyful. The joy that was set before him. He's our example. He's our model. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. In other words. He wasn't concerned about the shame it would bring to him. He was looking beyond his suffering. He was looking beyond the shame. He was looking to the joy that was before him. What was the joy that was placed before him? The joy of many sons and daughters being birthed into the family of Almighty God. Remember at the rock in the garden when he was heavy in prayer? Sweating as if it were blood out of his pores. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew the shame. He knew the heartache. He knew the pain. He knew becoming sin was going to be something he has never encountered ever before. And is becoming sin for the entirety of the world. Whoever was, is, or whoever will be. He was taken upon himself. And he prayed that thing through at the rock in the garden. Until he emerged victorious realizing that the reason why I'm doing this is so that we can have a family. The joy that was set before him was the joy of sons and daughters being born into the family of God. Do you know why we sacrifice our lives for Christ? Not for ourselves, but so that we can represent him in such a way so that our lives live as witnesses and testimonies like the others, so that others can see us and come to Jesus Christ. This is why we live. To make decisions that will honor Him. To make decisions that will glorify Him. To make decisions that will help others see Christ in us. The hope of glory. As living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men. People read us. My goodness, what do you have? I want what you have. Men like Smith Wigglesworth who walked in a, a train back in the day when they 
had passenger trains going from place to place, having a God run up to him and fall on his knees and look at him and say, your presence convicts me of my sin, lead me to Christ. Charles Finney walking into a plant where people work and they see him when he walks in and fall before him. People are healed, delivered and set free because of the power of God, the life of God emanating from his person. I think in this generation we've lost sight of that goal. And we are so distracted by so much because of all that's going on. Remember in the last days, what are we going to see? What are we going to hear? What are we going to know? There's an advancement of knowledge. We, we've been told that in Daniel. But also we see a demise of character. And we see people that disrespect authority. People that disrespect their parents. And we see given to entertainment more than ever before. What a society we live in right now where people are given to entertainment. All we want is entertained. And even when we come to church, people want entertained. They don't want challenged. They want entertained. He wants us challenged. Amen? It's easy to entertain. It's not, it's not easy to challenge people. We need to be challenged in this time in which we're living right now. So the joy that was set before him was this. Sons and daughters being born to the family of God is exactly what he was looking for. And you know what? That's how we should live our lives. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. You and I have this joy in us that's unspeakable and full of glory. But look at how it unfolds. And we have a priceless inheritance... An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. This is the end of our salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all those to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead of us. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy, the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Notice the joy He's talking about that's set before us. Look at Matthew, in chapter 25, verse 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into what? The joy of your Lord. Do you know what waits ahead of us just like was ahead of Jesus? The joy that was before him was many sons and daughters coming into the kingdom. The joy that was set before him was the defeat of death, hell, and the grave, and all the enemy forces of darkness. That was the joy that was set before him to make a way for us to enter in by his blood and become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the joy that's set before us is the complete salvation that we experience when we leave this old world behind and we get into his presence with this unspeakable joy and the rewards for serving him on planet earth give him a praise offering if you want that's what lies ahead of us that's what moves us that's what motivates us 
And we can lose sight of that along the way because of the devil world in the flesh. Look at James chapter 1 and begin verse 2. James, who first of all didn't believe his brother was the Messiah, finally came to realize his brother's the Messiah. And then Jesus appeared to him and taught him a few things. What a teacher Jesus is. So when these people were being dispersed because of the trials and tribulations and the circumstances that they were facing in life, when they were tempted just to go here, there, and everywhere, and maybe not even walk with God like they should, when they were tempted to blame God for all their problems. You know, people like to blame God for their problems. He's not the cause of your problems or mine. The devil, the world, the flesh. Okay. My brethren, count it all joy. This joy is a powerful force. Count it all joy. When? When everything is going well. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, knowing something. The trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So what is he saying to us? Joy is a powerful force. So let's consider him who for the joy that was set before him made a decision that he was going to live out his life, suffer what he suffered, sacrifice what he sacrificed, because he saw there was something after that that was far better than what he was experiencing right then. And so he looked beyond that. For us, when we're encountering these difficulties, it's hard sometimes to lift up our eyes above the circumstances that we're going through and realize that there's joy on the other side, praise God. That's unspeakable, praise God. We're going to get out of this. We're going to get beyond this. And it wasn't God in the first place who's creating the problem. Because in, in, in chapter 1 of verse 13, he says, If you're going through these trials, tribulations, and circumstances, don't blame God. He's not the cause of it. The cause of it is flesh. Being tempted by the enemy to be distracted, distracted from the things of God and walk in a course, on a course that he wants us, that the flesh wants us to walk on. Count it all joy and stand firm and strong. Because on the other side of that temptation, praise God, your faith that's tried by fire is going to usher you into the kingdom of God. And you hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy. The joy of experiencing the eternal bliss of God's presence. The joy of walking on streets of gold. The joy of the crown that you have. The victor's crown of righteousness. The crown of life over temptation. The victor's crown. The crown of righteousness. The crown of life. The soul winner's crown is going to be yours. And think about this. And when you get those big crowns all over your head, you will bow on your knee and cast it down before your Savior and say, thank you. You deserve this, not me. It's all yours. All the glory is yours. Now let's go back to Hebrews 12, look at verses 3 and 4, because this is something that we have to be aware of. The warning given to us. Here's where the problem really lies. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. For you have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. What's he talking about here? Fainting. Fainting in your minds. Our minds. Where's the battle taking place at? Between the ears. The battle of the mind. Wrong thinking leads to wrong believing, wrong speaking, and wrong having. It's the battle of the mind. And we can become weary. And he says, look, if you don't follow him and his example, you become weary and you can faint in your mind. A fainting is something that is caused by low blood flow to the brain. 
When I read that, I thought, yes, that would cause someone to pass out and to faint because they have a low blood flow to the brain. Our brains are going to be set on the blood that flowed from Calvary's cross. Did you get that? All of us. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That blood set us apart, sanctified us, delivered us, and set us free. We've got to have more of the blood on our brain. That was a life that was laid down for us. We live a life that's to be laid down for him and for others. Set aside ourselves and our wants, our whatever it is that we have for our own self, our own life, our own course, our own path, our own way. And start saying, you know what, it's time to get thinking about the blood that was shed, the price that was paid, the cost that he paid for our redemption. And then say, I'm following that example. I'm going to start thinking about the sacrifice he made so I can know the sacrifice I should make, lest I weary and faint in my mind. And that would be easy for anybody to do. So let's consider some things about Jesus. First of all, number one, he wasn't deterred by adversity at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, he could say it this way. Um, you know, the enemy's coming at me, but he has nothing in me. So he can't do anything to me. And if I didn't lay down my life to die for you, he could never take it from me. Did you hear that? He said, he's coming, but he has nothing in me. You know what that means for us? Don't give him any place. Don't give him any territory. Don't give him any ground. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, what does it say? Be angry, sin not, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath for the wrath. Remember that? Give no place to the devil, it says. Give no place, no territory, no entry points, no access to your life. And he talked about lying. He talked about stealing. He talked about unforgiveness. He talked about bitterness. He talked about anger that's out of control. All these things to give an entry point to the devil where he has opportunity. But, the, but Jesus said he has no place in me. No place whatsoever in me. Nothing. John 16 verse 33. Here's what he says. This is the Amplified the AMPC, it's the Amplified, the classic version. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you will have picnics. Tri picnics, no? Tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. Come to me, you can have tribulation. Trials, distress, and frustration. Yeah, let's have a party. Let's all join. Anybody, I'll sell tickets for that. Anybody want to go? Doesn't sound good, does it? But then he goes on to say, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident and certain. Undaunted. Why? For I've overcome the world. I deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Oh, somebody better shout. Hallelujah. He conquered it for us. We will be challenged, but we've got to enter into the challenge realizing that somebody conquered the world for us. So the world with all of its influences really cannot have power over us unless we give it power. The devil has no power over us unless we give him power. The flesh has no power over us unless we give it power over us. It's up to us to make a decision. No, you may not devour me. You may not control my life. Number two, he didn't allow confusion to get him off course. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This pertains to us. But for him, he said, I came to do the will of him that sent me. 
I know what I'm to be doing. I know the direction for my life. It's outlined for me. I know the path I'm taking. The path of the righteous is the shining light that shines brighter and brighter, more and more into the perfect day. The more we walk on it, the brighter it becomes. The more we get off of it, it can become dull and darkened. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, 30, acceptable, 60, and perfect, hundredfold will of God. 30, 60, hundredfold. That's how we progress. We start out maybe 30-fold, then it goes to, advances to 60-fold, then 100-fold. We're walking in. By the time we leave to go to glory, we should be walking in 100-fold of the will of God for our lives. So he wasn't overcome by confusion. And we shouldn't be either. Why do we live our lives? Just to say that I've accepted Christ and I'm saved now? Oh, absolutely not. That's just the beginning. It's not how we start the course. It's how we finish the course of our lives. That's important. Number three, he wasn't impeded by suffering. We know that we're going to be challenged. We know we're going to suffer for a season through trials, tribulations, and circumstances, and adversities. We know that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. This is a life of faith. Not feeling, not emotion, but a life of faith that goes above and beyond our feelings and emotions so that we could enter into and operate in the law of life, not the law of sin and death. We have the same spirit of faith. Anywhere you see faith, you're going to see this. According as it is written, notice, I believe. What are the three components of faith? You've got to hear it, believe it, and speak it. I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. That's the law of faith. I believe it, I say it. It'll become a reality. The woman with the issue of blood, she heard of Jesus, the first component of faith. She believed it because she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And she kept on saying it and saying it and saying it. In the Amplified Bible, it says she kept saying it and saying it over and over again. If I may but touch his clothes, I will be made whole. I love that language. She didn't put it off on anybody else but herself. If I touch his garment, I will be whole. She heard something. What did she hear? Touch his garment, you'll be whole. What did she believe? Touch his garment, I'll be whole. What did she say? Touch his garment, I'll be whole. What were the circumstances that were coming against her the adversities i'll tell you exactly what they were your religion tells you you cannot go where he's at because you're unclean and he's pure so you can't get to him so if you think you're going to get to him you're wrong you're supposed to shout out unclean if there's a crowd of people around him shout out unclean 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 and they're going to just stone you probably right there so you might as well just forget about it but all the way what did she do she blocked all that out with this when i touch his clothes i'm being whole I'm going to touch his clothes. I'm going to be whole. So she dominated the, the mind, all that was going in her head, with the word of faith. She touched his garment. She was made whole. Jesus realized power went out of him with all these people thronging him and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, you see these people thronging you? And you say, who touched me? He goes, no, no, no. Somebody touched me, made a demand upon my ability because they touched me with faith and power went out of my body. I felt it go. So she, knowing in herself what had been done, she falls down and tells him all the truth. What a platform for a woman to tell all the truth. Do you know Jairus' daughter died while she was giving her dissertation? That's how long it was. Don't stone me for that. Let's, let's read. 
Let's read the next verse. But she got what she, what she needed, right? Because she operated in faith. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we what? We faint not. We know we're going to be challenged. We have the word of faith. We believe it and we say it will be challenged along the way. Challenge in every area of our lives. We're going to be challenged along the way. So, we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We're not going to be in this temple forever. One day we're going to be released and set free. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is he telling us? You're going to be challenged. There are going to be trials, tribulations, and all that. Your light affliction, when you compare it to the backdrop of eternity, it's light affliction that you endure for a little while. But I'm telling you, this outward man is going to be gone, and this inward man is going to reign forever in a glorified state in the presence of Almighty God. But don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. That's how we prevent ourselves from fainting. Look at the next one. He stayed focused. In Luke 9, 51, it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. And remember, this is his great challenge. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, it says he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he was focused. He wasn't looking to the left. He wasn't looking to the right. He was looking straight on. You know what? We should be the same way. And Paul gives us the example. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Stay focused looking at one thing in one direction. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be what? Thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this to you so we got to be focused we're on this course we're running this race and we've got all kind of distractions coming against us by the devil the world and the flesh to pull us in every direction except the direction that God wants us to go in and that's the prize the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and he wants us to stay on course lest we weary and faint in our minds look at number five he knew how to prevent from fainting you can read it in your Bible. You'll find out in many places where Jesus set himself apart to do what? To pray. In some cases, he prayed all night long. But in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 28, this is Isaiah's uh, being led by the Spirit to tell us how not to faint. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord of, uh, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not? I have no problem with that. God doesn't faint. Can you imagine God getting faint? I can't imagine it. Neither is weary. Can you imagine him getting weary? No. There is no searching of his understanding. I mean, he just got done creating a universe. But he was all right. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth, young people shall faint and be weary. It has nothing to do with being young and energetic. Doesn't matter. Having to do with being elderly or more seasoned. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and run and not weary and walk and shall not faint. Praise God. The not fainting is being hooked up to the one who doesn't faint and who doesn't become weary. So there's an impartation of what he has into us so that we can have what he has. He infuses his strength into us so that we don't weary and we don't faint. So if we're getting weary and fainting, we're operating in our own strength and ability. But if we're waiting on him and we exchange his strength, praise God, interact with him, guess what? We will not weary and we will not faint. In well-doing. Look at this next verse in Galatians 6, 9. Look what it says. And let us not be weary in what? Well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Another spiritual law. You want to reap? You can't faint. It's the truth. So in conclusion, close out this series. Look at 2 Timothy 4. This is where we began. Look what it says. This is Paul. I have fought a good fight. This life is a fight. We've got enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh coming against us every single day. I fought a good fight. I finished Whose course? My course. Not somebody else's. I have kept the faith. He was faithful to do what God called him to do. Henceforth, because of all this, you ready for it? There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You love is appearing? Hallelujah. So, in conclusion, we all have a run, a race to run. We all have a course to finish. We all have a fight to fight, the good fight of faith. And every single one of us is responsible to stand against the devil, the world, and the flesh. And the question is this, how will we finish our course? Strong? I pray. Faithful? I pray. So we could hear those wonderful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. To the joy of your Lord. Let's all stand together before the Lord.